0: You lost your ability to play music today. Would you still think of yourself as a leader tomorrow? Maybe instead of just being a leader because of my musical gifting, I should have something that has more to do with gravity and godliness than musical proficiency and talent,
1: right? Hey, you guys, this is Matt McCoy with Loop Community. I am so excited that we're going to be a part of the Worship Innovators Conference, June 8 and 9, 2020 taking place right here in Chicago, my hometown. And what's really cool is that Loop Cunery is going to be there, but we're going to also be at this conference with other companies we love like Praise Charts, Church Front, Planning Center, Worship Tutorials, Worship Artistry, even the Worship Fails Instagram account is going to be there. And this conference is going to be geared towards worship leaders and teaching you how to use technology in worship. This is going to be a great event to bring your team to And learn all sorts of things like how to plan worship sets more effectively, how to run sound checks and rehearsals, how to implement tracks, how to automate lyrics and lighting, all sorts of really great things. So make sure that you sign up today at worshipinnovators.com. Limited space is available, so make sure you get your ticket. I don't want you to miss it. I hope to see you there.
2: Hey, everybody, welcome to the Loop Community Podcast. Today, Matt McCoy is going to be interviewing Aaron Keys. He is the founder of 10,000 Fathers Worship School. This worship school is awesome if you are a worship leader that either hasn't had any official training to be a worship leader. I know a lot of us just kind of get thrown in when we're a teenager as we know how to play guitar or keys. And so if you want a more formal training, uh, be sure to check out 10,000fathers.org. And also today, they're going to be talking about how to lead the people on your team. This is something that I know can be really challenging. It's often a lot easier to just learn the music and play the songs. But as worship leaders and worship pastors, we have to be stewarding the people on our team. So they're going to talk about how to do that. And they're also going to be talking about the types of songs that we sing in church and the differences between them and how they can affect the congregation and also how to have a balance with the songs that you sing. So let's check out the interview with Aaron Keys.
1: Aaron, what's up? Welcome to the Luke Community Podcast, man. Hey, hey, hey. It's been a while since I've seen you. I remember one time you came to Chicago and I picked you up from the airport and drove you to Portillo's.
0: It's one of my favorite places.
1: It is. It's. Did we
0: have Italian beef?
1: You had Italian or beef. Oh, or a had dish. It was Italian beef.
0: Oh, I've gotten that mail order to my house in Atlanta
1: before. Portillo's?
0: Uh huh. You can get it. They'll send it to you frozen, like on wow. dry ice. It's
1: awesome. The chocolate cake shake. Have you ever had that? Oh, no, yeah. I had that. All right. Well, next time you hear that's another <laughs> staple. Well, next time. all right. So you have written tons of worship songs. You've been a worship leader for how long?
0: Twenty plus years.
1: And you're running a worship school. Like you're doing tons of stuff. I'd be curious. Just first of all, how did you learn to be a worship leader?
0: Uh, probably like most worship leaders that I meet, I was just the kid that could play guitar or play keys. You know, I got thrown into it. So I wasn't looking to do this. And um, especially like when I was growing up, there was no such thing as like a a contemporary worship leader. There were music ministers. Yeah. But it wasn't like a thing you could be, you know, (laughs) a worship worship leader. Yeah, it wasn't really even
1: a job, right? No, it wasn't. I mean, there
0: were choir directors. Yeah. Music ministers were kind of coming around, but, but not like we know it now. So the short story is I grew up playing piano, started guitar in college, and then halfway through college, um, I was working at a camp in California called J.H. Ranch. Um, it's a great place up on the California-Oregon border. Um, my, actually, my teenagers are going there this week for camp. And so I just went to be like a, the river guide, rock climbing, You know, you know, you're 20 years old, kind of doing that thing. And the worship leader left, like, a few weeks into the summer. He was upset about something. And they were like, oh, we need someone to lead, like, tonight, you know, for these 300 high schoolers. And um, everyone was like, Aaron can do it. And I was like, no, he can't. Like, I don't don't know anything about that. Yeah, right. Um, But I knew music, kind of. And so I got thrown up there. Um, They put me up there with a really good singer. And I kind of picked songs. She sang them. And God did something. And by the end of the summer, um a bunch of the families were like, "Hey, could we get a a recording of this somehow and I mean, we would just worship for hours yeah, um, and it was it really was like God was doing something special and um so we ended up making a little record. we spent two thousand dollars made a record um this is nineteen ninety eight um called Ranch Praise <laughs> <And> <laughs> We recorded eighteen songs, uh two thousand dollars. I'm sure it sounded absolutely terrible it was like. Bongo drums, acoustic guitar, piano. Yeah.
1: Hey, the name makes up voices. for it, though.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A ranch phrase. Uh, so, musically, it was probably really bad, but spiritually and yeah. culturally, something was happening there. So, I went back to my college, Virginia year, um, and talked to some of my community and my friends and said, Hey, what if we started worshiping together just every Thursday night? And so, Thursday nights, 11 o'clock at night. We would um, load some gear into a room and invite people. And this thing over the next year grew into this. People were coming from different states and all the stuff. And we called this thing underground worship. Um, It was another just God doing something kind of thing. And that's kind of where I got my feet wet with um, uh, just kind of opening the Bible, reading for a few minutes, and then singing about that for a few hours. Yeah. So that's that's kind of wh- how it happens.
1: I was going to say, yeah, it's interesting because I think that's the story of a lot of worship guys of like they were the one around that knew how to play acoustic guitar, they knew how to <laughs> sing and they're like just get thrown into it. Hey, we need someone to lead worship for the youth camp. And something we've been talking about a lot at Loop Community is the difference between a worship leader, like a song leader basically, and a worship pastor. Like there's one th- there's a difference of like just getting up and leading a bunch of songs and actually emphasis leading people in song. And what I'm curious is like, okay, so how, how did you learn to emphasis lead? Like actually like pastor and lead people in worship other than just, you know, getting up and playing guitar and singing songs?
0: Yeah, it's a, I mean, that's a huge question that we talk about a lot around here. What we say is worship leaders lead songs, but worship pastors lead people. Ooh. And at the beginning, I mean, the emphasis was pretty very much just like, all right, what songs are we going to sing tonight? But once you've been doing that long enough and you realize lives aren't changing, but people are singing, um, you, you stop conflating singing with life change. <laughs> so as soon as you recognize just because people are singing, it doesn't mean that they're actually you know, being discipled or their lives are actually changing. Then you realize, all right, so I can, I can put all my energy into leading these songs or um, I can steward these songs to lead these people. Um, so the songs are part of it but they're just a fraction of it. And so what happens with the other 167 hours every week is just support and is what happens in this in this one, you yes. know, this one hour. And, and I mean, I'm, I've been doing this for over 20 years now. And so I, I'm interested in lives actually changing, like addictions being broken, patterns being, you know, um, set free. I'm interested in the real thing. When you're 20, you, you want an experience, right? I mean, you just want something intense and exciting, adrenaline's good. But now I'm kind of interested in like, what happens in the downstream of the experience? Mm. Um, what happens a year later? And and so I still love um, songs. I I write them all the time. I still lead songs all the time at my church and even on the road. Um, but I'm, I'm way more interested now not in leading the songs, although it's really fun. I, I do love, there's something magical about what happens when the body of Christ gets together and shares songs. But I'm I'm more interested in what happens when we scatter and how those songs affect our lives, if at all, yeah, right? Right. So do these songs actually help us not be anxious and have peace? Or are we just basically lying every every Sunday? You know, we, we, we don't tell lies in church, we just sing them, right? So... <laughs> We sing, like, I love you, Lord, with all of my heart, and then we go out and we don't. Not even close. I yeah. surrender. We sing, we surrender, and then we absolutely do not. I surrender all. Like, yeah. Yeah, no, we don't. You know, <laughs> like, look at my life. So, I, actually, the Bible is, like, pretty pretty intense about not deceiving ourselves in these ways. Um, the psalmist, you know, only, tw- only twice in the Psalms does it say, like, Well, only once does it say, I love you, Lord. And that's Psalm 18. Um, And that's a weird word that kind of means, like, compassion. And then once it says, I love the Lord um, in Psalm 116. But that's it. Like, but, so it's really fascinating to me. In the Psalms, these guys did not presume to love God very well. We do. We assume, like, we love God really well because we tell him all the time. Yeah. But, like, in my marriage... If I told my wife all the time that I loved her, but I never actually sacrificed for her or chose her over myself or, you know, served the kids or or if I just tell her all the time or even sang to her all the time, she would actually get pretty sick of those songs because they would be empty, you know, there's nothing there. Yeah. And so one of my seminary professors, you know, he said, maybe we shouldn't be singing how much we love the Lord. Maybe we should be singing but how little we love him, but how badly we wish we loved him more. Hmm. It's like, woof. Yeah. That's a, that's a bomb, you know, but we're not really good with honesty (laughs) in worship these days. Um, Yeah. Like help me learn to love
1: you. Oh, big with aspiration. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And obviously I'm not trying to like knock on, it's, it's wonderful to sing. I love you to the Lord, but it's also important to recognize that's, that's, that's maybe true. Do you, or do you not? because mm-hmm. I can say that I do but that doesn't make it it tr- doesn't make it true right yeah um, and that has actually been a big shift that's happened in worship in the last 50 years i mean we've gone from a mighty fortress is our god to i love you lord one of those is just objectively true no matter who says it one of those is subjective it depends so no matter who says it if we say our god is a firm foundation okay well yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm not. It has nothing to do with me. Yeah. But when it's like, if I'm singing, "I surrender all," well, do I or don't I? Am that's I not actually? necessarily true? Right. I mean, subjectively it might be. And so that that move from from a lot of objectivity and more of the hymns, and obviously this is kind of you know I'm doing sweeping generalizations here, so that's not usually helpful. But I do think in general you could say a lot of the hymns. That everyone loved the theology and the richness and the depth, and also what people really connect to is a lot of the objectivity. This is true whether or not I feel that it's true um it's just true and and I love what's happened in worship where we've we've really focused on intimacy and tenderness and imminence and the nearness of God, and that's wonderful, but we have to be careful that we don't confuse our aspirations with our actual lives. And so in the Psalms, you do find both, right? You find, I'll bless the Lord at all times. Psalm 34, his praise will always be on my lips. Uh, But then you also find in the Psalms, what you don't find in our worship today, the darkest, cruelest, harshest confessions as well. Like I hate my enemies, may their children beg for bread. I mean, there's dark stuff in the Psalms, right? And yeah. we don't really do that today. It's a problem that we don't do that because we do experience that stuff. We just don't bring it in worship.
1: Wow, that is such an interesting thought. Because I was leading worship a couple weeks ago, and we were singing uh, that Bethel song, or like it's like "You Are Good, You Are Good, King of My Heart." Mm-hmm. And at one point in the worship service, we were, i was just like, "Listen, like that's you know, sometimes it's good just to like sing truths about who God is. Like, you know, He is faithful, and like even if you don't feel it." We can sing that and, like, almost remind ourselves of that. But I've never thought about it, how it changes, though, when it's a song that actually is, like, assigning an emotion to everybody else. So if I choose a song that's like, hey, everybody, let's just sing I Surrender All, I'm, like, forcing them to all say I Surrender All, but they may not actually be surrendering all. Yeah. Or a non-Christian that's there, or I don't know. (laughs) So are you saying that maybe— Well, let me keep going. Yeah, keep going, going because that's interesting.
0: Okay. So recognizing that is as, as an important step, that we should probably recognize God would rather, if, you, if we look at the Psalms at least, God would rather us be real than right. He's more interested in us being honest than pious. Um, and God is not fooled by our lip service. So this is Isaiah 1. I mean, there, there is unacceptable worship that happens in the Bible. And that's that's the thing that we have to wrestle with. So Hebrews twelve let's worship acceptably with reverence and awe. God's a consuming fire. So Hebrews 12 is like, hey, we're receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken. So let's, let's think about how we worship and make sure that we don't get it wrong. And the, it begs the question, okay, if we can worship acceptably, then we might also inadvertently worship unacceptably. And as a worship pastor, worship leader, we need to think about whether or not we inadvertently are leading people to worship unacceptably. And if we're making everyone out to be liars before God, That's probably not what he's looking for, you know, but I think it gives us a great opportunity to coach people in how worship needs to be at least three things. So I think if you go through the Bible and go through church history, worship, if it's like a stool, it needs three legs to stand on. One is expression. So we tell God what we feel. Two is formation. We're being shaped by this act of worship. And three is mission. It actually has effect on the out working world, not just, it's not a closed loop. So, Isaiah 1, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Isaiah sees what's going on in heaven, and Isaiah's like, here I am, send me, I'm a man with unclean lips. So, he's joining in the worship, he's being cleansed and formed, and he's like, send me on mission, I'm ready, you know. So that's pretty paradigmatic of most of the worship encounters, I think, you know, in the Bible. And here's what's happened in my, appraisal at least. We have taken mission and formation and just chucked them out and cranked expression up to 10. And so we're singing our expression to the Lord, which would be great. Uh, It's not inaccurate. It is inadequate. Um, But where it becomes even dishonest is when we're not actually bringing our real expression, just our churchy expression or just our pious expression. So if all we're ever telling the Lord is how wonderful he is, and that he's never going to let me down, well, I felt let down plenty of times by the Lord. Now, ultimately at the end, I'm sure I'll be able to look back and go, wow, that was for my good, or or, wow, that wasn't even you. That was the world, but you brought beauty out of those ashes or whatever else. But to not give voice to, I feel extremely let down right now. I I feel very disappointed with God. And and until you've led worship for funerals, for tragedy, if it's all still just every person you prayed for gets healed and every funeral you've led for there's a resurrection, like I don't know how to talk to that <laughs> because I've been doing it for too long to to hang on to naive triumphalism. There are godly people who are really hurting. And they're hurting not because of anything that they've done. Or some of them it is because of things that they've done. But it's just a... its People are fighting very hard battles, right? Right. So if we don't give voice to more than expression, we end up doing a couple things. One, we either turn people into liars and tell them to say things that aren't true. Or, because they don't want to be dishonest, we just make them withhold their worship. Because if we're just singing about how pumped we are that God has saved us. Well, someone's out there like really just hanging on for dear life. They're not feeling pumped today. So they're going to just withhold. They're just going to hang back. Um, and, And the problem is if we, if we don't recognize that worship is so powerful, not just for what it can do for expression, but also what it can affect in our formation. And then ultimately in mission, here's what happens. Like we miss, this incredible opportunity to invite people into worship who totally screwed up that week, who have totally blown it in the last month. Uh, We invite people to kneel who are cocky and arrogant, because this isn't just a place for us to come and express our aspiration or express our actual life. It's a place for us to come and say, we need to be changed as well. And so if it's just about expression, then people should not lift their hands until they are celebrating or surrendering, right? But if it's also about formation, then don't just lift your hands because you so faithfully celebrated the goodness of God this week and you so you know selflessly surrendered your will to His. No, lift your hands because you clenched your hands all week, but you don't want to live that way anymore and you want God to change you. So don't just come and kneel because you're so humble, Neil, because you're proud and you want to be humble so this act can become formative for us even if at the moment it doesn't seem like it's this full expression of where we're at and the other thing that happens is if we aren't careful about the stuff and articulate about it with our leading we we end up kind of making people's worship response contingent on their recent faithfulness so maybe you've experienced this like as a worship leader like if You know, if I've, like, really blown it in my marriage this week and really, like, offended my wife or really been cruel to my kids or really been um, irresponsible in relationships or whatever, I carry that stuff into worship and I'm like, I I, I need to, like, dial it down a little bit in worship because I don't want to be fake. Like, my wife knows how I acted this week. Um, She knows that I wasn't very patient this week and I'm going to get up there and seeing how patient my love is. Well, so it makes me hold back a little bit because I haven't been very faithful. But obviously our worship should not be an expression of our faithfulness, but a a response to Jesus' faithfulness. And so even when we are unfaithful, we should come and express our unfaithfulness and recognize as we do, what is expressive is also faithful. Formative, right? And then that will send us out into the world as actually different people. If we neglect to see that we've kicked two legs of the stool out from our worship and put all the pressure on, it has to be this expression of how great our God is and how happy we are with Him. Well, you rule out a lot of the Psalms that way, and you just rule out a lot of our lives. Because, I mean, how much of your marriage is just this bliss and this, the height of ecstasy and everything that you always wanted love to be like, that's a wonderful part of marriage, but it's just one sliver, right? I mean, marriage is, it's your whole thing, right? And um, worship's supposed to be too, but I'm afraid that we've kind of, we've kind of just gone down this path of let's go high on expression. Let's not think too much about formation. And let's never even really do do much at all in terms of mission. But biblically, and as far as church history goes, when all three of those things are happening, things start changing. But when any when any one are carrying all of the weight, and I think again, just look at a lot of the lyrics. It's mainly focused our worship these days on expression. And even that isn't very broadly honest. It's still pretty particular. And pretty idealist instead of honest. Hmm. So there's just not a lot of songs to articulate our doubt and how we failed. Um, I mean, when was the last time that you know you were leading worship and you led people in a time of confession? All right? We we don't do that. Like, but in a lot of liturgical expressions around the world, every week you spend time and you confess. Every week you receive the table, you receive your mercy, but. There's not, it's hard to do that in triumphalism where we just keep going from glory to greater glory with ever increasing glory it comes from the Lord who is the spirit, you know. Right. And and so there are streams of, of worship and denomination stuff that want to so focus on the resurrection and the victory and the power that we completely abnegate um, a whole lot of most people's lives. And we, we then like push it out of our worship experience to only do this 10% experience, but a lot of people just are really hanging on by right. a thread, so what do we do for them, you know?
1: So it's almost a worship pastor's job to keep people honest, in a way, or to help kind of create a worship space where people can sing honest things and be real.
0: Yeah, or even just to say them. I mean, it's going to be hard to, um, it's going to be hard to find songs to hit the breadth of what everyone's experiencing in your community and get in the day right, but... Yeah. Even if there aren't great songs for all these things, there are great prayers. There are great fathers of the faith who've done this before we have. There yeah. are great, um, there are great periods of believers who've gone before us. We're standing on their shoulders, um, and it would be wise for us to recognize we're not the first generation to yeah. to want to worship God. You know, <laughs> right, right. But when it's all about our expression and we're not really thinking about formation and mission, how it actually changes us or the world, you know, then who cares what they thought 500 years ago.
1: So would you say that maybe it's best if churches are just singing songs that are talking about who God is and biblical truths instead of expression or not swing so far that way? Yeah, we need it all, man. But That's the
0: thing. We we just want to keep cranking this one thing up or crank one other thing up, but it's like an EQ spectrum. I mean, we can't help but mute a bunch of frequencies and turn one all the way up. But but we just need to keep them all in balance. And sometimes yeah, it would actually probably do us well if we've been way over this pendulum towards expression and we actually haven't thought about formation or mission. It might be good for us to, if we're leading, if we're focused on leading these people and the people are expressing themselves very ardently every week but no one's marriages are changing or the, their kids are still hooked on this or that or like lives aren't really changing our city is not changing then we should at least recognize okay songs aren't going to do it and at this point i think any of us could recognize if songs were going to do it they would have by now um there's two hundred thousand plus in ccli with more coming every year if the songs were the answer we'd have the solution by now but we don't and so it's not enough um and worship leading as we know it um, it's just not enough, and, and I think wrestling with the Bible, it's like, is an interesting. That in the, in the New Testament, there's a lot of worship, a lot of leadership, and there's zero worship leadership. Huh. It's not in First Corinthians 12. It's not in Romans 12. It's not in Ephesians 4. It's not like apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, worship leader. It's just not there. Yeah. So culturally, for us, we just assume it. It's it's de facto. It's the way things work. It's default. But biblically, I mean, read the epistles, you know, pastoral epistles, and you see what kind of characteristics should accompany someone who's leading in a church. It has nothing to do with musical competency. So this is the first generation that ever conflated musical competency with spiritual gravitas. That's what's new here. This never happened before. This isn't isn't in the Bible, where because someone can sing songs that we can use prayer, we think that person is a leader in the community. That's new. So historically, pastors or leaders of churches have been trained biblically, culturally, exegetically, homiletically, hermeneutics, they've been trained theologically, they've been trained philosophically. We're at a point now where that still happens for most of the leaders, but that doesn't happen for the worship leaders. The worship leader was the kid that could play guitar, and sing half-decently on pitch and keep time. The big shift is that for the first time, that kid, because he could play guitar and look half-decent, he's got as much influence, time, um, and, and he's, in a way, he's affecting the community in ways that might be even stickier than the pastor's sermon because they're probably not driving home humming the three points of the sermon.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: Um, So the songs that are being chosen or written, the things that are being said, I mean, it's like a, I think songs of sometimes, sometimes I think songs like a drip coffee, you know, where a sermon is like this meal, a a song can just be like, you just keep simmering in this, these few lines and they just keep coming back and back and steeping in these truths or these expressions or whatever for right or wrong that's so influential, that's so, it can be so catalytic. And we're the first generation that has conflated the ability to lead that with the calling to lead people.
1: Wow, so you run a worship leader school called 10,000 Fathers. What's like the th- overall theme that you're trying to drive home into these worship leaders? Like what's the thing that worship leaders like need to know?
0: Well that right there is, is where we start. It's that's this question. Start. If you lost your ability to play music today, would your church still recognize you as a leader tomorrow? Hmm. So, and that's a that's a nice, preachy, you know, rhetorical question. But it's it became actual. So last summer, we were doing a little sabbatical, my family and I, in Costa Rica. Surfing is like one of my favorite things in the world. And so we rented a little house to surf for a month in Costa Rica. And it was awesome. I was so pumped. I trained. I got ready. And a week into our trip, I went over a wave. I was not... I should not have been on this wave, and I landed on my head and I broke my neck. Fractured my C7, split in two, nerve damage down the left side of my arm that resulted in my left hand shriveling up like that for four months. I had such intense pain in my left hand, if anything touched it, it felt like I had pins and needles in my hand. So I was on like Oxy, (laughs) Oxy kind of painkillers, therapy, CT scans, MRS, all this stuff, and for the better part of six months, I couldn't play music. I couldn't play guitar, I couldn't touch a guitar, my left hand didn't work, it was shriveled up. Um, I could play piano, but kind of only with my right hand. And I'm still supposed to be a worship pastor at Grace. And so it was so interesting, because for 10 years, we've basically been asking worship leaders, hey, if you lost your ability to play music today, would you still think of yourself as a leader tomorrow? Would your community recognize you as a leader? Or is the only reason that you're a leader, the fact that you're musically competent because if that's the case then just recognize that and recognize okay I'm actually not leading these people because there's stuff in my life that they want to learn from and I have a life that they want to imitate I'm I'm just singing for them and I'm leading them in songs which is fine there's nothing wrong with that but it's at least nice to name wow maybe instead of just being a leader because of my musical gifting I should have something that has more to do with gravity and godliness than musical proficiency and talent yeah right yeah so i mean it was a you know it provoked not a huge identity thing for me because we've spent so long asking that question um and i really do believe like even if i never sang again at my church i mean i've been leading people there for for 20 years so even if i never play guitar again on stage i mean I, i could just open the Bible and lead the people like that. We yeah. could just, I could lead them in prayer. I could, I mean, we could sing a cappella. Um, you know, I, I don't, who cares? Like, I could take or give the the musical side. Obviously, it's so fun. But when that goes away, does my leadership? And if it does, then I'm actually not a leader. I'm a performer. Yeah. And I should just, I should own that and name that. Yeah. And I should do something about it. And that's why we started 10,000 Fathers, because there are, I mean, there are so many gifted singers and worship leaders and songwriters who are being thrust into positions of influence and importance and they have an opportunity like I'm not sitting here like moaning and crying about hey worship leaders shouldn't have the influence of that it's awesome that that there's an opportunity for musicians for that kind of artist to be able to influence a community It's its great you know we need the left brain the right brain we need the sermon we need the songs and you know, all of that but it's important you know, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly, but it's good to know that you're doing it poorly, yeah. right? Um, and so most of these worship leaders, at least from the 300 or so who come through our school, most of them were just like me. They didn't start leading after they'd studied the Bible and had mentors and coaching and been discipled, and then they were put onto a stage and they were protected and shepherded and resourced and equipped. They just got thrown out there to the wolves, and no wonder they feel insecure and inadequate and ill prepared because their pastor was trained, their youth pastor was trained, their missions pastor was trained. But th- as a worship pastor, they're just up there and like, here's YouTube and here's Loop Community. Good yeah, luck, right? You know, right? Um, and at least there's something. I mean, it's great that yeah, but great it's, that you guys are creating great resources. But
1: right, but that's just the practical surface part. Right, there's a yeah, deeper yeah. pastoral side of leading worship. That training yeah, needs to sure. happen. I'm so glad you guys are doing that. And would you say that the responsibility falls on the worship leader? Or because what if a worship leader finds himself at a church where maybe just the pastoral staff above them is not seeing them as a worship pastor? They're just seeing him as a song leader. Yeah. Is, that, is that something like where they're like, hey, is that the church's responsibility or is that the worship leader's responsibility?
0: Well, I don't blame most pastors for not looking at their worship leader at a peer level or at a this guy has great pastoral insight to offer most worship leaders haven't earned the right um and just again think about it probably the senior pastor has at least a master's degree a lot of them have gone on and done more than that so they've got d-min degrees or phds at least an mdiv or a master of arts or um you know some kind of ministry degree what is the worship they're doing like have they studied, have they really wrestled through what the Bible says about praise and about worship and about how God views the worship of his people? Or are we just kind of going with culture? Um, because, man, like we, we pretty much, in worship leading, we've pretty much got the respect of, of senior leaders that we deserve, if you ask me. But are instead, like what we ought to be doing is pressing deeper into knowing God, into understanding the word, like, and that's hard to do. I mean, these pastors spend years studying the Bible in seminary because it's complicated, you know, like it's super tricky. Yeah. Um, And if the Bible is a double-edged sword, man, I just would never give a double-edged sword to my 10-year-old. He's going to hurt someone, you know, my 17-year-old, maybe with some training. So this thing is powerful and a lot of people have been badly hurt because of leaders who use the Bible in ways that did not look like Jesus. You know, It happens all the time. And there's even that story where in the Bible where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and they come in to arrest him. Peter tries to cut off this guy's head. You know, He cuts the guy's ear off. Malchus, poor Malchus, right? And Jesus has to come behind Peter, heal Malchus for what Peter did trying to serve Jesus. I'm like, I would love if Jesus didn't have to heal the people that I was trying to, you know, I was trying to be protecting Jesus against these people and Jesus had to heal these people in my wake. <laughs> like, what's happening in the downstream of our decisions? That's, yeah. that's just a big thing that we need to think about. So, yeah, so the leaders that, that come to us, I mean, I can't believe how banged up, um, how wounded, how ill-prepared so many of the leaders are that come to us. Um, because I mean, some of these guys are leading worship for for churches ten thousand, twenty thousand. Some of them are just a couple hundred. You know. Yep. Um, but when you ask them, what do you think God believes when He sees you? You know, what do you think God sa- says when He sees you? You ask them what they think. It does not sound very much like Jesus. Yeah. It sounds very consistent. Unworthy. Not good enough. I'm a disappointment. I'm a failure. Um, it's the stuff that if you asked any of my sons what I believed about them, if they said the stuff that the leaders of worship in so many of these churches think that God believes about them, I'd be brokenhearted as a father. They're like, how did I fail you to believe that about yourself? Holy cow! You know, right? Um, and these aren't just—it's not a random sampling from these churches. Yeah. These are the worship leaders, um, and so if that's going on in the in the leaders, how much more in the community? If if the community is not being taught how to hear truth from what God says about us, how to live into a blessing instead of under a curse, and there's right. there's plenty of streams that will even keep people down in their depravity or self-important with their dignity, but to be able to walk in between those things with with honesty. Um, and with respect, that takes wisdom and nuance. And this is why pastors go to school.
1: Right. Right. So speaking of school, tell us about 10,000 Fathers and what that looks like for a worship leader. Let's just say I'm on staff full-time at a church. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to go to the school and learn this stuff. What does that yeah, look yeah. like? What's the commitment look like?
0: Well, any, anyone who's leading people in worship consistently, I think, should at least get some training. Like, we can do this better. Um, and I just can't imagine any other career where you would just assume you're going to be good at something because you've seen some people do it. Um, I mean, I watched the NBA finals. I did not assume I was going to go shoot like <laughs> Steph or dunk like Kawhi, yeah. you know? Um, so only in select areas do we assume we're going to be really good at something because we've seen people do it really, really well. Um, but for whatever reason in, in songwriting, in worship leading, we, we, Get pretty presumptuous here, so I would encourage any worship leader get some coaching, whether it's with us, whether it's with other. There's lots of options now, um, but figure out how deep a dive do you want to take, because what we do is we do it's an 18 month process where people come for five days at a time to stay with us. We go intense, we go immersive, and for that first five days, when people start with us we're heavy on the character of a worship pastor. And that launches into six months of weekly class, or we call them huddles, small groups, where you're with four or five other worship leaders and your coach. And for six months, you're working through different books, different papers you have to write, songs you have to write, whatever, for six months. And then you come back for five more days. And this starts track two. and This is where we move from the character of a worship pastor to the craft or the competency. Now we start looking at skill. Uh, the ability. So track one is character and integrity. Right. Now we get into reliability and, and just ability. So hard into songwriting, communication, vocals, how to lead a team, this kind of stuff. Six more months of coaching on that. So you just go back home. You're just you don't ever have to miss a Sunday if you come to do worship school with us. Um, and then after six more months, you come back and you do track three. So five more days in Atlanta where we focus on community, culture, calling, how do you go, and now build where you are a community of character and competency. Wow, yeah. And the way to do that is going to be what we've done for you. So we basically pull back the curtains and go, look, this is what we've done for the last year. We invited you into our homes. We didn't rent some cool venue. We want you to see our real life. Um, We invested in you rhythmically. This is not mentorship. Like, hey, come meet with me. This is discipleship. Come follow me. These are the steps we've taken. This is the path we've walked. This is how we've changed. And so after they finish six, more months of coaching on that, um, they graduate. And by the time they graduate, they've done all kinds of spiritual disciplines through the whole process. They've begun artistic disciplines at different points in the process. They're writing a song a month. They're submitting their songs. They're sending video of themselves leading worship church. They're getting coaching, and all that stuff another big thing that they do is they come up with a big capstone project by the end where they, with their pastor, will write a plan on how we're going to uh, facilitate a worship culture at this church in the next year. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's what it's going to look like. Here's the plan. And they begin implementing it. And what we've seen is we only have about, you know, 300 plus students or graduates from our school in our first 10 years. But we just started polling them and and the best we can figure out conservative, conservatively is that out of those 300, there's about a quarter of a million people being led in worship every week by 10,000 Fathers, students, and alumni. That's a lot of people who are being led in more than songs. They're being led in biblical reflection that works with the song, being led in moments of of being still and listening for what the Holy Spirit might be saying. Um, they're being led in communities where the leadership is inviting people into their homes and hospitality. It's a pretty big deal in the New Testament, not so big in our in our day, but man, I think it's one of the biggest missing ingredients of, of our New Testament churches today. It's just opening, opening up our homes, you know? Yeah, right. I mean, Jesus changed those guys' lives just through being with them. It's interesting, in Mark 3... Um, when Jesus calls the disciples, it says he appointed twelve that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and teach and cast out demons and all stuff. And so at the beginning of it, it's like he picks twelve guys to be with him. And then after he's ascended and resurrected and all stuff in Acts four, he's gone. Peter and, um, I think John, maybe James can't remember, are preaching and they're doing it so boldly. And the people are like, we recognize these guys, they're untrained. They're ordinary, it says, but. They've been with Jesus. The walls start shaking. You know, they're so powerful. Yeah. So it's just that presence, being with them. And so that's, I think, our unfair advantage here at Two Thousand Fathers, as opposed to several other options, is we want you in our homes. We want you in our lives. Um, we're not coming to give you our um, our stage show. Um, there will be no stages involved, actually, at worship school. Um, and it's funny. People used to show up, you know, with their guitars, like, what are we going to jam? Like. I'm going to show you, you need to see how good I am, you know, and a lot of them are very good, but we just don't care. Yeah. Um, we don't even know for several months because every single one of these, a lot of these leaders have pretty much been either, you know, treasured and cherished or um, kind of relegated and put off because of how competent they are. Um, and they haven't just been given dignity yeah. and looked at and gone, Wait, God's called you to lead worship where you are. That's a big deal. Yeah. We want to help you do that better. I mean for us, these leaders are the heroes. Like they're the ones in the trenches. Yeah. Um, and we get to come alongside them and give them some of the tools that people have given us over the years that have changed the game for us and helped us. Um and so I would encourage any worship leader. And dude, honestly, we actually just started a preaching school too. Um because even a lot of the pastors of churches who have have done seminary um, are recognizing, man, they, they still weren't given everything that they need. Um, and so we're able now to not only train worship leaders, but even now, communicators, yeah. senior pastors. Um, I just think all of us need coaching every now and then. Yep. You know, like Definitely. Serena Williams has a coach. Like, why does she need a coach? Why does LeBron James need a coach? You know? Yeah. Um, and I think there's a little bit of a misnomer where it's like, well, I don't need a coach. I'm I'm good at what I do. But... I think the people who are the best at what they do go out and get a coach, yeah because they want to be better, yeah um, and you only coast downhill and and so we get to help push people to be the best that God has gifted them to be and to operate at their highest potential as opposed to uh, what you just default to if no one's really pushing you
1: right yeah well well done man this is awesome i'm glad that there's people like you who are pouring into worship leaders oh, for yeah. more than just gifting and competency but like their heart and <laughs> raising them up to like lead to lead people and to pastor people and because it's a huge responsibility and a lot of these guys are just thrown up on stage and been like all right here's you have half the service yeah that's a yeah. lot of responsibility and so i'm glad that you guys are uh, pouring into worship leaders in this way. How can a worship leader find out more if, they want, if they're interested?
0: Yeah, man. We have um, new classes starting uh, basically two different points in the year. So in the fall, it's kind of like a school, like a college. Um, yeah. So in August and September, we have new classes that start, and then again in January and February. Okay. And some cool stuff that's happened recently, um, besides starting the preaching school, which is awesome, um, is that we're now accredited towards a Master's of Arts degree uh, masters of Arts and Worship from Northern Seminary up near you in Chicago. Um, and so that means any worship leader who's thought about seminary, um, but maybe never pulled the trigger or never finished, they could, if they do 10,000 fathers, they're actually getting seminary credit. They're getting a third of a master's degree. Wow! And if they want to go finish that degree, that's what a bunch of us have done. So about 40 of us um, have either graduated or are in process right now of getting master's degrees in worship. And that's just... An incredible to me. That's an incredible thing because um, even seminaries are recognizing how vital this new role is that we call worship leader, and recognizing that this role, the people in these roles need to be empowered and resourced and taught. They need a panorama of church history, and they need to understand that we're not the first people,
1: yeah. you
0: know, to take worship seriously.
1: Yeah,
0: um, that's a big deal. And then we also have a bunch of worship leaders who come to school who never even finished college. They got pulled right into ministry halfway through college and never finished. And we have a new partnership with, with Visible Music College, which is an incredible group that's basically accrediting worship school, $10,000, towards a bachelor's degree as well. So if someone's done some college but never finished, they could do $10,000, get credit towards a bachelor's degree at Visible, and that credit would also still go to a master's degree at Northern. So we just think, this is a no-brainer. Yeah,
1: that's awesome, yeah. If you so, want a deep dive. Yeah. So where? 10,000fathers.org? So
0: worship.school. Okay. That's the worship school. Preaching. school, That's the preaching school. But yeah, we would love anyone. Right. Send us a note. I mean, if you want to chat, like, send us a note. We'll call you. can answer any questions that you've got. Yeah. Um, but God's doing something here. He's, he's raising up leaders of worship and shepherds of worship. And ultimately, I mean, the reason we're called 10,000 Fathers is 1 Corinthians 4. It's... Paul says, even if you had 10,000 teachers, you don't have many fathers, but that's what I have become come for your sake. So imitate me as I imitate Christ. What we ultimately want to see, um, we want to see the world worship differently. Um, I think God deserves better. He deserves honesty. And and I think we need this stuff. But the way that it's going to change, again, isn't going to be through our singing, and it's not even going to be through our teaching. I mean, Corinth had the best teachers. They had A-listers. They had Paul and Apollos, and he goes... You have 10,000 teachers, you don't have what you need. Because it's going to take more than teaching. It's going to take fathering and mothering. And there's a world of difference between a teacher and a father, but the biggest one is that a teacher gives you the information. A father and mother give you DNA. They give you who to become. Um, and you know, so much more is caught than taught. Family changes everything. Um, and this is why we've created Worshipful the way that we have. We want people in our families. We want people to come see our real lives, not just get our, our Bible study and our curriculum whatever else. So there are places you can go um, to hear good talks, um, much more famous, all kinds of options. But if you want formation um, and if you want fruit that lasts um, as opposed to um, the stuff that just pops up real quick and then dissipates over time, that's why we do everything that we do. We're serious about formation. We're serious about thoughtfulness. We're serious about discipleship. We think that this is how Jesus did it. Only problem is it takes forever and it's hard. (laughs) But everything that is great in my life took a long time and was hard. Yeah. None of it was easy. And I don't know why it wouldn't be that way in the kingdom.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for what you're doing, man. Thanks for joining us on this podcast thanks for what you do man you guys have bailed me
0: out more than a few times (laughs) so big fans of you down here in atlanta
1: good man thanks for joining us on the loop community podcast music from this episode is brought to you by john Guerra from his album little songs make sure you check it out on apple music or spotify if you enjoy listening to this podcast leave a review and a rating means a lot we'll see you soon